The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, we're back again. Uh, we want to say thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Darren Smith, the pastor at uh, Tower View Baptist Church, uh, towerviewkc.com. Thank you for joining us. Good to be here with you. Uh, this is not the way we'd like to, to be doing this after a streak of uh, such a good time. We did have to temporarily shut down our church uh, this week uh, per CDC requirements to uh, clean the church and we'll be open, Lord willing, on August 30th. Everyone is safe, everyone is, is, is good, but out of an abundance of caution, we decided to go ahead and record this time. Super special thanks to Midwestern Baptists, especially uh, Brother Matthew, uh, as he is helping us record today. Uh, this was a last minute thing. They were very gracious to allow us in, so we want to thank them especially. If you're watching us uh, and you're at home, most of you are Tower View members or friends of the, of the church or ministry, uh, but if you're watching us for the first time, maybe this is your first time ever. Thank you so much. And if you're not a Christian, hang in there. We're going to be talking with you as well as we're in the summer of Psalms today. Summer of Psalms. I'm going to read Psalm 126, all six verses as we go forward. And uh, we will look at it today. We'll read, we'll pray, and we'll get into the sermon from there. Let's read God's word today together. It says, when the Lord, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who would dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, verse 4, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap shouts of joy. And he who goes out weeping will bear the, bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126, a lesser known psalm. We've been bouncing between uh, psalms we know and psalms we don't know well. For many of you, this is a psalm you don't know, but I pray today you know it well. And if you're a Christian, especially that God encourages you through this, he edifies you through this. If you're not a Christian, that you would hear the word of God. And that's what we're here to do. Let's pray together. And again, uh, thank you for joining us on a a different day in our, our life the last several months, even in COVID period. We're grateful to be able to do this. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time. We thank you again for our friends at Midwestern Baptist Seminary uh, for allowing us to record uh, on on the last minute here, Lord, uh, to get the message out clearly and sufficiently, Father, in a day and a time when we could not. So, Lord, thank you so much. We pray that you speak to people through your word. Move me out of the way, Lord. May you be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a story told of the Mountain Valley Cathedral in remote Switzerland, which is one of the most beautiful regions in the world. Even in World War II, the, the, the German Nazis loved that region because it was an escape for them for war. But one of the features that attracted so many people to this particular cathedral was its beautiful pipe organ. We don't have a lot of those around today, but one day the organ fell silent. Musicians and experts from around the world came to try to repair it. But no one could do it. No one succeeded in their task. Then one day, an old man appeared and asked permission to try to fix the organ. Well, of course, they let him in. They're desperate. And so after working on it for several days, the community once again was filled with the glorious uh, music that came 
from the pipe organ. The farmers dropped their plows, merchants closed their stores, and everyone stopped what they were doing and headed for the church to hear their beloved music once again. And when the old man finished playing, someone asked him how he fixed the organ. They were amazed. And he answered, well, I built it 50 years ago. I created it. Now I have restored it. Friends, this is the message of Psalm 126. Just as this man had confidence he could fix what started in the past, so too with God. God acted in the past so you might have confidence that he will act this afternoon and even a thousand years from now. Yet he reminds us God does not to idolize the past or or demonize the present or romanticize or, 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 or ponder what could be in the future. Instead, we are to engage in God's story, where he has placed us, how he has placed us, and when he has placed us. Kind of reminds you of 2 Corinthians 5.17, doesn't it? Where it says, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the old is gone, but behold, the new has come. Augustine, that great theologian for many centuries gone by, said it this way. He said, trust your past to God's mercy, your present to God's love, and your future to God's providence. Look, church, no matter how much you regret your past choices, God's grace not only offers you forgiveness, but the joy of fresh starts and new beginnings. And the Bible is clear. God doesn't just offer you past grace and future grace, but he promises you grace right here, right now, where you are, even watching this, and probably from your home, on your phone, or your smartphone, whatever you got. And friends, isn't it so comforting to know that in these days that we are facing, you can leave your past behind because the power of God's forgiving and transforming grace really is a reality. And he can restore what you thought was broken, just like that pipe organ. And that's what we're going to look at today. The big idea today is simply this. It says, with God, the sorrows of ordinary life will not have the last word. With God, the sorrows of ordinary life will not have the last word. Look, God doesn't give strength today for tomorrow's troubles. That's what it means to live by faith in future grace. And look, it will come. You are living that right now. And church, we are not to worry about the future. God never told you to figure out his future will. He promised, though, to guide you and called you to focus on obeying what you can control. The message of Psalm 126 is that you can face life's turning points as you are now with confidence for what the Lord has done in the past and what he will do in the future. And that's what we're going to look at today. In Psalm 126, two stated clear facts about how God calls us to see his works in in our lives. He tells us in verses 1 to 3 to contemplate what he has done in the past, and verses 4 to 6 to count on him for what he will do in the future. Well, what is the, the context here of Psalm 126? It's a song of ascent. It's a song that was sung by the Jewish people as they were going up the mountain to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover during other times. We don't have a context of time for this. A lot of people think this was written after Israel was restored back to Jerusalem, uh, after the Babylonian captivity, but we really don't know. But what we do know is it's a song that was sung during all times. We don't know the author of the psalm or the occasion, but we do know this. The author says God will restore and God did restore. And that's what we want to look at today. That first point, contemplate what the Lord has done in the past. Notice verse one again. It says, when the Lord restored the future of Zion, the future of Zion. Notice the past tense of restored. And that's why he says to contemplate what he has done. The emphasis of these verses is not on what happened or when it happened, 
but who made it happen. And you see that there. It, when who? The Lord restored the fortunes. Whatever historical event the psalm celebrates, it didn't matter because it wasn't a king who made a wise decision or a soldier who was brave in battle or the spiritual devotion even of God's people. It was the Lord who did it. And the same is true for us, Tyree family. If the Lord is in it, we can now enjoy it. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We can live and serve with great expectations as we look back and consider the good things, even the great things the Lord has done as we contemplate this. And he breaks it down for us in this first main point. Contemplate what the Lord has done. Firstly, by how in verse 1, how God has turned our dreams into reality. As we contemplate, we see in verse 1 that God has turned our dreams into reality. When the Lord restored, he says, the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Look, the people of God were praying so hard. They were crying so hard and waited so long for things to change for their nation that when the Lord intervened, they could not believe it. It was more like a dream come true. It was, it was like a movie being played out in their lives. It was a dream they did not dare to dream because they didn't want to be disappointed. And isn't this what Paul prayed for the Ephesians? In Ephesians 3.20, he says for, for, that God would give them far more abundantly than we ask or think. God blew their minds. And so, friends, as we look at verse 1, as we contemplate what the Lord has done in the past, we need to remember that he has turned our dreams into reality. He took that, that sin that you thought could never be forgiven, and he laid it on his son, Jesus Christ. And that is as real as we are talking right now. In fact, this is one of the ways to tell if the Lord has done a great thing or not. If you can explain it, if you can put a process to it, God did not probably have a hand in it. God is providential, sure, and sovereign, yes. But the great things spoken of here, the rest of the restored things here, are things that were only things of dreams. Many of you have been praying that for this COVID period, that during this time, we would, we would leave what we now know as the new normal and go back to the way things were. But that is not what he says. He simply praises God that God had turned his dream into reality. And Christian, and I encourage you again, that during this time, this is not your home. Someday, somehow, in his providential dealing with this earth, God will take you to your true home with him forever in heaven, worshiping him as he is to be worshiped. He will turn our dreams into reality. But for these, these Jewish people to, to be restored to their homeland, which is probably the context here, it was a dream they never thought that could happen. They had heard about it, but here it was. And so it is true for us today. God works great things and he answers prayers. We need to always remember it is a great work of God that did that, not our ingenuity. So as we contemplate what the Lord has done in the past, we need to see that God has turned our dreams into reality. But secondly, we need to see that God has turned our sorrow into joy, our sorrow into joy. Look at verse two. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And, and then we'll stop right there as we'll just look at the first part of this verse. But God turned our sorrow into joy. The Lord turns our dreams into reality, and now he records two results of that. The first result is joy. And so this statement describes the dramatic way God restored Jerusalem. And Psalm 137, 1-4 reports the laments of God's people. I want you to hear this. I'm just going to quote it from my notes here. It says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. 
On the willows there hung our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and torments, saying, Sing to us the songs of Zion. But how shall we sing of the Lord's song in a foreign land? When the psalmist wrote this, the unknown psalmist, the children of Israel were so defeated, so depressed, so demoralized that they dreamed it to be wrong and impossible to sing. But when the Lord restored them, when he brought them back to the place he said he would do, their mouths were filled with laughter and their tongues with shouts of joy. And that's how good God is to us, church. That the Lord is so good, it ought to make you laugh sometimes. I mean, isn't that what happened with Sarah and Abraham in Genesis 18? The Lord showed up to warn Abraham that Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed. And oh, by the way, you are going to have a son someday, Abraham. And you, even though you were old and advanced in years, you're going to have a son. And when Sarah heard it, she, she was long past childbearing years. She laughed and the Lord rebuked them asking, is anything, Genesis 18, 17, too hard for the Lord? And sure enough, in Genesis 21, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son and they named him Laughter. And Sarah explained, saying, God has made laughter for me and everyone who hears will laugh over me. Friends, indeed, God is so good sometimes. As you look back, as you contemplate on what God has done in your life, not just saving you, but, but taking care of you, giving you that daily manna day by day, sometimes it ought to make you laugh. Not laugh because it's, it's silly, but laugh because you're so blessed. And God is so good that it ought to make you shout for joy. There was a story told about Charles Spurgeon and not understanding the full implications of of her words, one critic of his, one non-Christian critic of his said and warned Mr. Spurgeon. And he said this, he said, Mr. Spurgeon, if the Lord ever does save me, like you say he might, he'll never hear the end of it. Friend, if an unbeliever can grasp the truth that God is good, we should never stop telling each other, the Lord and all those around us about the goodness of God. It ought to be that way. He turned our, our sorrow into joy because the Lord has saved you. He has helped you. He has delivered you. He has strengthened and healed you. And you should never hear the end of it. Psalm 30, verse 11 and 12 says, You've turned me from mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise. Not to be silent, O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. So he tells us in this first main point, as we contemplate what the Lord has done, that he has turned our dreams into reality, our sorrow to joy. But finally, verse three, he has turned our guilt into gladness, our guilt into gladness. The first result of the Lord's restoration was joy, but there's another result. Look back at verse two. He says in verse two, he says, the Lord has done great things for us, for them. And say it among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things, and we are glad. Look, another result is that the Lord has done great things. But the, the significance here is that this is to the nations. It is the nations, the Gentiles, the heathens, the, the pagans, those without the true God. And it refers to unbelieving people who worshipped idols, defiled God, and hated Israel. Yet what the Lord had done for Israel was so great that even the nations are saying, look at what their God did. And Christian, in times of distress, in COVID times, in times where we can't meet together like we are this week, unbelievers may taunt believers for having an absentee God. But the psalmist says the Lord has been so good that even unbelieving nations had to acknowledge and had to say the Lord has done great things for them. 
And so as Psalm 3, Psalm 126.3 picks up, it's an acknowledgement that the Lord even gives common grace to those outside of his name. Isn't this what Jesus said in Matthew 5 when he said the rain falls on the just and the unjust and God takes care of them even when they don't acknowledge him? And we should acknowledge, Christian, even more so the great things God has done for us. Is there more thankfulness, Christian, on the lips of a non-believer than there are on the lips of you, the believer? And if you're not a Christian, I just want to tell you that God has been so good to you. He's given you breath and life. And yeah, your life may have had some hard things now and again. But the greatest grace is that God has allowed you, non-Christian friend, to hear the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal and everlasting life. And he goes on in verse 3, and he says, The Lord has done great things for us, he says, and we are glad. Don't you kind of wish that had come earlier in the psalm? I mean, it seems kind of out of place that the nations would acknowledge the great things of God before the saints, before the, the believers. But again, sometimes we fail to recognize the goodness of God right in our midst. When driving, we must be careful, especially big truckers. You see those stickers sometimes, don't you, on back of trucks, and it says, avoid my blind spots. And while focusing on what's ahead, we can fail sometimes, even in a small car, to see, see what's behind us, the periphery, or, or in our rearview mirror, the reverse. And so it is with us Christians, as we contemplate the past, as God has turned our dreams into reality, he's turned our sorrow into joy, he has also in this moment, has also in this moment turned our guilt into gladness. And you can become so preoccupied with the situation you're in that you can't see the goodness of God all around you. Tower View, we have been so blessed during this time. God has given us an inordinate amount of unity. God has given us an inordinate amount of resources. We thank you for your faithful giving. God has kept us with, with people coming to our website at some 30, 35,000 a month. And it's not about numbers. We don't pride ourselves in those. We don't count the troops like David, so to speak. But we do praise God for them. But the greatest thing that we cannot forget in this COVID time, despite all the blessings, despite all the growth, despite all the people who've heard the gospel through the little church God has called us to here at Tower View, we need to remember this that he has turned your guilt into gladness. He has done the greatest thing for you, Christian. He has removed your guilt. He's removed the punishment, the wrath due on your head. Other people can see the favor of God on your life sometimes as you're blinded to it. So let me just advise you to look around this day, this Lord's day, and see the great things that have happened in your life. There's been a lot of them. See what the Lord has done. And you see that he did it for you and not against you. You see the great things the Lord has done for you. And do what the psalmist says. Be glad. Isn't this what the old song says? O oh Lord, my God, when I'm in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds that, thou, that your hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Friend, we are called in Psalm 126 to remember, to contemplate what the Lord has done in the past. He has turned our dreams into reality. He's turned our sorrow into joy. He's turned our guilt into gladness. And now we go to our next main point, is that we are not only to contemplate what he's done in the past, but now we are to count on what he will do, what the Lord will do in the future. We're to count on what the Lord will do in the future. John Wesley, one of the great preachers, wrote a hymn that says this. He says, where is the joy I knew when I once saw the Lord? 
Look at verse 1. The psalmist Joy remembers when the Lord restored the fortunes back to Zion. But in verse 4 now, the psalmist prays that the Lord would restore Zion's fortune. This is a sudden and, and even dramatic shift from the joyful remembrance to a, now a humble prayer, a petition that confronts us with the fact that times of celebration don't last, even when they are a direct result of the Lord's intervention. James McGivory Boyce, and I mentioned him last week, the former now deceased pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia said this. He says, exceptional joy usually doesn't last a long time. It can't really because life is always a combination of ecstasy and agony, good times and bad times, joy and suffering. Christian, look, like it or not, the truth is that our triumphs do not last either. But know that God brought restoration yesterday and he's able to do it again. And so in in verses four to six, we're going to see an affirmation of God and what he will do in the future. And the first thing you see that God will do is found in verse four, that God will answer our prayers. God will answer our prayers prayers. And if you look at verse four, it says, restore our fortunes, O God, like the streams in the Negev. So what should you do when you find yourself at life's turning points? Well, the psalmist answers in one word. He says it this way. He says to pray. In verse four, the psalmist prays, restore our fortunes, O Lord. And this is the only prayer request found in the psalm. In fact, it's a simple petition. It's the only petition we have. Restore our fortunes. And I want you to notice, this is in the future. This is in the present, but mostly in the future. In verse 1, there is a celebration of what the Lord has done. But it's used here as a prayer for future restoration. Literally, the psalmist prays, Lord, you've done it before. We're praying that you do it again. Please do it again. And so he prays for restoration after restoration, if that makes sense. The Lord restored Israel to their land after the Babylonian captivity, but now they need a physical restoration, excuse me, a spiritual restoration in place of a physical one. God, you brought us all back physically and safe, and you brought us back to the promised land, but Lord, now we need a spiritual revival. Lord, now we need you to pump our veins full of your goodness and reminders of your presence. Lord, do that today. Friends, this is the reality of life. God will answer your prayers. God will do that as you, con- as you consider and count on what he will do in the future. But there will be times when you need restoration after restoration. You will need God to deliver you to something after he's delivered you from something. You will need God to bring you into a new season after he's brought you into, for instance, a new year. You will need God to heal you even though the doctor says you are healthy. You will need God to give you a stimulus package even when your finances are in order. Hebrews 13.8 reminds us that God is the same yesterday, this today, and forever. And the one who restored you in the past is able in the future to do it again. And it starts with that four-letter word we know, but we often don't do. P-R-A-Y. Pray. But notice the psalmist describes this divine restoration. He says, oh Lord, restore our fortunes. But like the streams in the Negev, it kind of sounds funny, doesn't it? The Negev was a desert south of Judea near Beersheba. One of my good friends, he may be watching this, lives in present-day Beersheba in Israel. But during the summer, there would be no rain, and the Negev would be bone dry. There was no water. I mean, literally. But suddenly, the rains would come and fall in the winter, and, and the riverbanks would overflow. And the dramatic picture here of the psalmist is he's praying God would answer his prayer. But things are turning decisively, completely, and suddenly. So he says, don't judge the outcome by how things look now. 
Christian, you may be at a dry place, so to speak. You may, your physical health, your, your family health, your financial status, your emotional state, your kids, your, your job, whatever you got. Or more importantly, your spiritual condition may be as dry as the Negev. But the Lord can restore, Psalm 126.4 tells us, the fortunes like the streams in the Negev. In fact, Isaiah 41.17 and 18 says it this way. It says, when the poor and needy seek water, there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open the rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys, and I will make the wilderness a pool of water, and they dry land springs of water. The psalmist tells us very clearly as we consider and count on what the Lord will do in the future that he will answer our prayers and he will sovereignly at times open the floodgates. So Christian, hang on. You may be at a place where God has you in a holding pattern spiritually where it seems like you can't get out of the desert. Seek him, obey him, trust him in the places you can, give to his service, share the gospel boldly, freely, and forthrightly, but do it to his glory. He will answer our prayers. But verse 5 goes on, not only will God answer our prayers as we count on him for the future, but God will also accept our broken worship. Notice verse 5, he says, those who sow in tears also reap with shouts of joy. So in verses 5 and 6, we're going to look at verse 5 now, but the picture shifts to more of an agriculture, more of a farming thing, and we're getting into that sowing and the reaping. Just want to say here clearly, church, that this is not, we do not believe in karma, we're not pantheists, we're not, we're not uh, deists. We don't believe that, that what goes around comes around, all those phrases that we're aware of. But we do believe that God is providential. And we do believe, as Galatians 6 clearly says, that what you reap is what you sow is what you reap and vice versa. You, you pour into it, you're going to get something out. The old computer ter- term in is from the 80s and 90s programming. Pastor Nelson will know this, is that bad data in is bad data out. Good data in is good data out. But he puts it in agricultural terms. Verse 4 tells us God can bring restoration suddenly through prayer. But now in verses 5 and 6, he tells us that God brings sometimes restoration seasonally. Just as those streams in the Negev are a sovereign work of God alone, only the Lord can turn a desert into the river. And there is this balance, once again, isn't there here, between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And our responsibility is acknowledged here as we look at what the harvest is. He says in verse 5, and I want you to see that, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And so he says, it's kind of like this. Imagine a farmer who suffered a drought last season. Think of those of you who know your history, especially just about six hours south of here in the Dust Bowl, Oklahoma, south central Kansas. And you imagine a farmer in the 1930s sowing his seed, planting his seed. But because there is no rain, the entire investment was lost. He lost everything. And when the time comes to plant again, he only has a limited number of seed because he couldn't harvest last year to regain some of that, to recoup it. And at last season's crop failure left him unable then to purchase more seed. So the farmer sows what he has. He gives all that he has. He has no choice. But as he puts those last seeds into the ground, he sows in tears, because tears flow from his eyes. But the psalmist says here, Psalm 126, verse 5, that those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. So how does that work, Pastor? Well, notice the intermediate period between sowing and reaping and all that goes with it. These verses start at the beginning and tell you the end result. It doesn't fill in the middle story, the details. The farmer sows in tears, but then he reaps in joy. So what happened in the in-between? Well, this little proverb here is filled with hope. 
It says to us, especially in a COVID period, that no matter how difficult our present situation may be, if you trust God with the seed that you have sown, if you give to him what you have, if you bring to him like that little boy with the two, two fish and five loaves of bread, all the stories, the widow with Elisha, Elijah, who brought all that she had, you bring it to the Lord. What he says is that a harvest is on the way. Psalm 30, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Christian, this isn't some recipe, as some would have you believe, to prosperity gospel. This isn't some, if you, you name it, you claim it, you blab it, and you grab it, that you're going to be a rich millionaire, and you'll never have a worry in this nation or this world. That's not what's being said here. What he is saying is we're in that second main point that God, we can count on him for the future. He's going to answer our prayers, verse 4, but he's also here in verse 5, he's going to accept your broken worship. Because there's going to be times like that farmer that you're going to lay everything out and the, the best you can bring to the Lord is the weakness that you have. The best you can bring before the Lord is all that you are and he knows that anyway. And there are times that all you have to offer is the most ridiculous offering because in the world's eyes, it looks like nothing. But just like Jesus and that widow with the might, it is everything. So Christian, hang in there. Stay with him. Stick with him. God will answer your prayers. He will accept your broken worship. But finally, as we look at this last sub point here, God will advance our successes. As we count on him for the future, God will advance our successes. Look at the last verse. He goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing and shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Look, this verse emphasizes the proverb of verse five, doesn't it? Here the psalmist says that he who goes out weeping will bear the seed for sowing. And that seed for sowing is a precious or a costly seed. That picture again is one of a famine in the land. The ground is unresponsive. They've tried everything. Even you want to say the genetically engineered things we have today, but the farmer's family is still hungry. The seed could be used to make bread. He could, he could, he could invest short term in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a rumbling stomach and make his family happy and feed his family. But the farmer here in verse 6 has taken a step of faith. He's decided to sow the seed into the unresponsive ground. He's decided to cast it before uh, swine, as Jesus said, but with this in tow. He's not just casting and hoping for the best. He's trusting, he's, he's grabbing on to the promise that a harvest will feed his family in the days to come and serve them better and prepare them for a new season. But as the farmer considers the risk here in verse 6, he's taking by sowing his precious costly seed, he weeps again as he goes out. Because he's trusting by faith, but he also is a human. He's, he's frail, just like David last week in Psalm 3 cried, even, Lord, they're surrounding me. He was fearful, even though he trusted the Lord. Verse 6 says, he shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Look, the language of the text here is very clear. It's only a one trip. It's not a multiple trip. It's a one trip kind of thing. The farmer goes out weeping to sow his precious seed in the unresponsive soil. But while he's out in the field, God intervenes. God advances. God blesses. And by the time he comes home, he's bringing in the harvest. Christian, this verse describes a miracle that declares there is nothing too hard for God. Churches, we've been considering what our future days will look like in terms of outreach, in terms of fellowship, in terms of just the basics of the church. This is something we need to hold on to as well. This closing verse of the psalm 
is a great encouragement to us, especially as we try to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many times missionaries, evangelists, even normal Christians sow the good seed of the word into very hard hearts. And they do so with tears because people are unresponsive. But the psalm tells us what we already know. It says, do not give up. Stay faithful. Or in the language of 1 Corinthians 15, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. You may reap in tears, but you will sow. But, or you may reap in tears, but you can also reap in joy. You can sow in joy. Maybe you find yourself in a place today, Christian, where your faith is being tested and your love is being rejected. Your kindness is being underappreciated. Your labor is being criticized and your sacrifices are being forgotten. Hashtag anyone in a leadership position across COVID during these days, right? But he tells us here, don't give up. This isn't just a win one for the Gipper kind of speech you give before a big sports event. This is spiritual truth. You may go out weeping, but you can come home rejoicing because God says every little thing that you do in my name, I will see fit to use it for my glory. Church, stay faithful. When we get shut down for a week, we come back ready to re-engage not only each other, socially distant, mask on, all the good stuff, right? But we come knowing this, that even though the church may shut down for a season, God is still faithfully, providentially, and sovereignly working to call those that are his back to the fold for the first time. Christian, the ultimate proof of this is that God can restore you and bring you from weeping to joy is the very gospel itself, isn't it? He sowed in tears, did the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus lamented in Matthew 23, 37. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers the brood under her wings and you would not listen. And later in John 12, 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Indeed, Jesus sowed his life for us in tears. But on the third day, unlike Buddha, unlike Confucius, unlike Zoroaster, unlike Marietta Baker, unlike Joseph Smith, uh, unlike Charles Russell Taze, unlike any other person who's ever claimed to be anything other than what, they, what God tells them they are, Jesus Christ busted out of that grave. What was tearful, what was, what was lamenting, what was sorrowful, be, sorrowful became joyous. And he rose from the dead to the fruit of eternal life. And if you're not a Christian and you're, you're tuning into us this morning, I just want to remind you very clearly, that is the news for you. You may have started this lacking hope, but let me tell you the greatest hope as we close. God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, so that all who call upon him might be saved. Friend, you are outside of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to please God as you are. You can do all the great things religiously. You can come to our drive-in church. You can sit in the green space. You can come inside. You can even serve to various degrees in various capacities. But unless you yourself, sir or ma'am, have turned from your sin and repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will never be saved. The wages, your, your paycheck, your earnings, your 401k for just being a human, Romans 3.23 says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Romans 6.23, excuse me. Romans 3.23 rather tells us for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But friends, it was such, we have such a good God that while we were yet sinners in our sin, Christ died for us. And the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth 
Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, not just symbolically, literally, bodily, physically, as I'm talking to you now, you will be saved. Friends, you must repent. You must 180. You must you turn away from your sin and come to Jesus Christ. Look, drop us a message. You see that messenger thing below. You know it's there. You can click on it. It's cool. It's okay. You can do that. You click on it. You message us. You call 816-368-1330. You text that number. Be glad to connect with you. We want to tell you more about Jesus, but don't turn this day unless you have come to that knowledge. Well, there's a story told about sharecroppers in the days gone by. Christian, I think this will speak to you. And the rains would come and flood the valleys that would wipe out their crops. But at one point, the son of the farmer said, Dad, I'm out of here. I can't take this anymore. We do all this work. And all of a sudden, it rains hard, and it's literally all washed away. Dad, I can't do it. The father encouraged him to hang in there for a little while. Something had to change. Just wait it out, son. Hang tight. We'll get there. And wouldn't you know it did. The owner of the land came by one day, and as he saw their field in the valley, he told his foreman, he said, look, this family has worked so hard for so many years, and it's impossible to grow anything then. Would you put them up on that hill over there? Would you put them in a place where they can actually grow crops, and they did, and that family prospered. Christian, you may be in a valley today. The floods may wash away your best efforts. You may feel like giving up, but we have good news, and Psalm 126 has communicated this to us. There is one who sets high and looks low. And if you hang in there, he will promote you to the val- from the valley to the mountain, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, not because you have greater faith or stronger faith than someone else, but because that's the promise of his word. With God, the sorrows of ordinary life will not have the last word. We can contemplate that first point as we looked at as what he's done in the past. But hang on, buckle up. You can count on him and consider what he has done and what he will do in the future. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. As we close today, we are grateful for this truth that we are saved by grace. Father, thank you that the sorrows of this life will not have the last word. The psalmist tells us that you not only restored, but you will restore. You, you did in the past, you will do it in the future. Father, we don't overpromise, as some pastors do, what that means. We simply trust, as we do, your grace and your kindness. Father, we love you. We pray especially for those watching this morning who are not able to join us physically. We miss each other, Lord. Look, look to getting back next week. But we thank you for this time together. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. Again, our our website is towerofukc.com. We'd love to communicate with you. If you're watching for the first time, thank you so much. We'd love to get to know you. Church members, thank you for your patience, and thank you for your grace in these days as we walk through this together. God bless, guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye.